about part two in our series. Repeat with me, please. Say, God, God is waiting for me to deal with my distractions. This is a series about God waiting. It starts in the book of Genesis with Abraham. God waited 75 years for him to get it together. I'm 65, and I feel like God's been waiting on me, waiting on me to make certain declarations. What I said to you earlier just a minute ago is a growth moment for me. I am watching people miss it because they can't get past certain things. And I believe all of us have to get past certain things. I've had to get past certain things that were distracting to me. Some of you, you got to get past your, 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 your frustrations, your anger. You got to get past allowing yourself to be trapped by certain things. You got to get past it, past being nervous. Somebody asked me, do I ever get nervous speaking? Yeah, I, it's adrenaline. It just floods your brain and you feel funny. And, and then they had something called post-adrenaline depression. When you do something and, and there's a whole lot of adrenaline, when you finish, you drop. And so, I mean, it's just like, man, you could just, the weekend can just be full of that all kind of flooding emotions. But I've learned just be calm. Don't try to be impressive. And just be yourself and get past that distraction. Because I believe that if God's given you an assignment, you can't allow yourself to be distracted. If you're a parent, you can't allow yourself to be distracted. You've got a parent during this season. If you're a leader of a business, you can't be distracted by fear. And sometimes God is waiting to bless you, but he says, ah, they're still distracted. They're still worried about things. Instead of just resting and being confident and going forward, there's something about coming to that place of peace. If I'm in a fight, being nervous doesn't change the fight. It just means I'm going, I'm going to probably lose. But if I can get focused, and martial arts, that's one of the things about it that gives you an advantage, is the sense that you are focused. You know, you, you, when you see them, you have a plan. When they get to a certain distance, especially, you understand foot movement, all those th- hand movements, all those things are really important, and it's about focus. It's what throws people off, because they don't expect you to have a plan. But there is a, there is a power in calm. Say that with me, come on. There's a So, for example, if I can get this thing out of my pocket, if you can put your spiritual glasses on and look at life and calm down, there's something powerful that can happen in your life when you're calm, when you're, when you're focused and clear, and you can see this is distracting me. In the study, there are four parts to the sermon that I've been looking at. One is what God's waiting for you to be ready to start. That's what we talked about last week. 75 years he waited for Abraham to start. Is God still waiting for you to start? Secondly, today we talk about waiting for me to manage my distractions. God's waiting for me. Ricky Temple, deal with your distractions so I can bless you. Next week we'll talk about managing. I love this. God's waiting for me to tell the truth. The truth. Abraham lied to himself twice. Really more than that, three times with the, the Ishmael story. But two distinct times, he flat out lies to a king to prevent himself from being hurt because his wife was beautiful. It's amazing to have a 65-year-old wife who's so fine 
that he was afraid somebody was going to kill him because of her. <laughs> and she was 86 the second time. I mean, this woman was, man, amazingly frozen in beauty. And he was so nervous about the gift God gave him, he felt he had to lie to protect it. And God's waiting for him to stop lying. We'll talk about that next week. Then the last sermon will be this, waiting for me to receive God's best. God has a best for me, but he can't give it to me because I'm not in a position where I can receive it. Even if he wanted to give me the million dollars, he couldn't. Even if he wanted to give me a responsibility, if he wanted to give me a ministry, if he wanted to give a wife or a husband to you, if he wanted to give you whatever it is that's his best, he said, I can't, I can't, I'm waiting on them to grow up. They're too distracted to get it. They're, they're too into themselves. They're too prideful. I can't, I can't take them around the world. They're scared to fly. I can't take them anywhere but Brunswick and, you know, Head maybe. That's it. I'm not saying he can't bless you in those places, but there are a lot of things that God would desire to give to a church, but he can't give it to them because they don't like young people. They don't, they don't, they they, and they never, listen to me, they never will. Pastors come to me all the time. How, how can I get our young people more involved? And I want to go, well, maybe stop having little Easter speeches. Jesus died upon the cross, and I know he died. And he, what? What about asking them what they want to do for Easter? How about coming up with a plan that they're interested in? I want to get along with my kids. No, you don't. You want to boss your kids. You want to dominate your kids. God's waiting for you to get past that, and maybe you can fix your marriage for real if you can get past being mad because they didn't do exactly what you would say. You know what Diane told me one time? Don't tell her. I told you this. She in here? Oh, she in here. Close, close your ears, Diane. Close your ears. I was talking to her about something, and she said, do me a favor. Won't you write that down, and I'll read it to you. I said, what did you say? She said, write it down. I, yeah, I can't say what you want me to say, so write it down. I'll just read it to you. I thought that was cold-blooded. Got my attention, though. Because the point is, I, need you, I want you to say it like I say it. But you're not me. I didn't marry me. I married, Lord have mercy, Diane Florence Bryan Temple. And she's different. And sometimes God's waiting for you to get to the point that you can accept differences. And then he can get his best to you. Because where he wants to take you is different. But if everybody has to be like you, you can't go certain places. All your friends have to be black. All your friends have to be white. All your friends have to be American. All your friends have to be short, tall. I don't know. All your friends have to be fine and cute. Can't have any ugly friends. You have all these rules, and God says, my best for you is with some people who aren't perfect. I want you to be around. I got, I got a best plan for you, but you can't have it because of the way you think and process. You cuss out people too much. You get mad too fast. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to work for you. You can't get a staff that's really opinionated and smart and creative because you got to be the smartest person in the room all the time. And because of that, God can't get his best to you. Can I get an amen, somebody? Amen. 
But today let's talk about four distractions in Abraham's life. Four distractions in Abraham's life. Distractions that were amazing. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. So Abraham went up from Egypt to the south with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham became a very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. I love that. Verse 5, now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, was also, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land, listen to this now, they were so prosperous, the Bible said in verse 6, that the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. Now, Lot's father was Abraham's brother, and his father died. Abraham felt the sense of commitment, so he asked him to hang with him, and he would take care of him, and he did. And because of his association with Abraham, he became wealthy. And there's a whole lot of behind the story, but some of it you can go back and listen to last week. But there was this incredible linkage between the two. But Abraham, throughout his life, faced the distraction of Lot often. I, I listed several, if you have the sermon notes, several um, distractions. One was Lot. Lot was what I call an investment distraction. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. An investment distraction. He cost Abraham time and money. Chapter 13, he's mentioned. Chapter 14, he's mentioned. Chapter 19, he's mentioned. Three chapters. You special when you get to be mentioned in three chapters. This was a guy that was, his name always came up. Always came up, always had something. Do you know anybody like that? I'm sorry, do you know anybody like that? Yeah. Their, name, their name always comes up. Always. Something they said, something they did, something they needed. They're always on the needs list. There's a distraction that Abraham had that just could not be removed. And there's some other ones I'll mention in the notes you can look at later. But let, notice with me that one of the most surprising things to me was the strife that chapter 13 describes. I won't read the verse, but it describes tension between Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. Now, I want you to think about this. Abraham brought Lot along because his father died. Abraham gave Lot the money he had. Abraham invested in him, gave him stock, gave him livestock. His stuff blew up and grew. He had a whole bunch of servants. He had a whole bunch of stuff. The man was amazingly blessed. All because of who? Abraham. No, what's his name? Abraham. One more time. Say it loud. What's his name? Abraham. Abraham. So Abraham blessed him. Now, then in chapter 13, you find there's strife between Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. Now, what's amazing to me is I would think that Abraham would have been respected by Lot. And Lot would have told his servants, now, when it comes to Abraham, they called him Abram back then. Ah, you better not say anything. <clears throat> because he was there for me. You got those people like that in your life? They were there for you. They gave you, they gave you, they took you, sent you to college, or they paid for your car, whatever they did for you. But this is the guy, no matter what you did for him, you always found yourself in some kind of tension. So Abraham said, tell you what, you guys can have the land that's the best. You go left, I'll go right. You go right, I'll go left. And so the Bible says Lot looked and he saw a land with Sodom and Gomorrah, had the best land. And he chose that land. Now, to me, that's amazing. So I brought you out here because your daddy died. And now, all of a sudden, 
you are going to choose the best land. You allow your staff to fuss with my staff over land. Okay. You go that way. Well, we know how that turned out. He chose the best land and ended up with the biggest problem. There's an amazing story behind this kind of guy. In chapter 14, he's, 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 he's captured. Lot has to do something else called intervention. Can you say that word, please? Somebody asked me in the men's session earlier today, Pastor Rick, how do you recognize a lot? How do you know if you've got one in your life? Well, you always have to intervene. They become such a major part of your life that you can't focus on your life. You live in the land of intervention. Chapter 14, verse 13. Here's what it says. A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram. In the Hebrew, Abraham was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, and all of whom were alive with Abram. When Abram heard, Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive. He called out the 318 trained, born, trained men born in his household and went to pursue them as far as Dan. Now, here's what happened. Lot got captured. Now, all of a sudden, Abram has to stop everything he's doing and go and rescue him. Intervention. Anybody know about intervention? Always save today. Now, what's amazing is, notice he was prepared. This is a guy who had 318 trained people in his, in his household. He understood he had to be prepared. What's amazing is to me, sometimes in life, if you're not careful, this is your life. All that you must do. God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you. But he says, I can't because they got to do. He's still dealing with a lot. I, he's still, I can't get him to the place I want him to be because right now in his life, lot is the main event. All of his energy. All of his resources have to be aimed at protecting this one family member. Am I preaching to somebody? And it's so amazing that this intervention, this thing was distracting. And I'm telling you, I know I get helping family. I get helping people. I'm not saying that when you help somebody and you go around and say, you are a lot. Don't do that. (laughs) Some of you are going to do that. Go home and say, you a lot. Some of you at home right now, yeah, lots right here watching with me, lot. And some of you lotis. Lotetta. <laughs> the point of the message is not to make you feel bad about somebody, it's to point out the truth. All I'm trying to do is get you to see how distracting this can be and how it can stop you from getting to your purpose. Because every waking moment, Every waking day, if you have a, a company, every moment, every, every staff meeting, you're wondering what they're going to say. Every time you send them out to be with a customer, you got to go back to, to the customer and apologize because the crew didn't show up on time. There, there's all, you're always having to intervene. There's something about that that can cause your life to get off track. And God is waiting to bless you, but you must deal with your distractions. And you must be honest about it. And I think what's interesting is it hurts you and the person because they never grow. I'm not saying go cut people off, call them lots and forget about them, because he didn't. 
What's the most impressive thing is in chapter 19 of Genesis, before the angel of the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, the one reason that the angels didn't destroy it was because of Lot being there, and he was related to Abram. And so the angels of God went to Sodom and Gomorrah, and the goal was to say, hey, we need you to leave. Because this city is in trouble with God. And so finally, at the end of the story, it's that tremendous story where he said, I want you to leave and don't look back. He's calling this distraction, this guy who's always needing attention. Okay, this is your last chance. And so he, the angels march Lot out in chapter 19 of Genesis out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And his wife looks back and the Bible says turn to a pillar of salt. It's a powerful story, but the whole point of the story is not only was he a distraction, the whole family culture he created. And when you read his story, it's full with incest. If you read the rest of his story, it, some of them became descendants that today hate Israel. It be, they became some of the most, most hated, hated, they hated Abram's family. It never stopped. That's why it's so prophetic that I'm in this sermon series today. Because these are Abraham's children that are still a distraction. They can't build wealth. They can't be at peace. Fighting over what? There's so much oil wealth in the Middle East. Give me a break. Some kind of way we can figure out how to get together and help everybody have something. The Palestinians, Israel, there's too much money to be this angry. Come on, say amen. Come on, come on. Am I right about it? It's too much money. But notice where it all started. Notice where it all began. What's amazing is, in chapter 16 of Genesis, it started with the need for a child. And Abraham felt he just had to have a child and so he decided to take it, he and his wife, into their own hands. And they got distracted by their ambition. And they stepped out of God's plan, which was wait. Chapter 22, I'm going to give you Isaac, wait. But they couldn't wait. Sometimes you're like that. You're trying to push things. And God said, just wait a minute. You don't need to go solve this yourself. Don't take matters into your own hands. Because you take it into your own hands, you're going to create a culture of strife that will last for generations. And somehow in the middle of this, I'm praying, oh, God, help me not get distracted and make a decision that could change my life for generations. Some of you right now. In your family, in your world, you've lived in. You can go back to the moment you made a decision. When you got distracted. That's why you didn't finish college, because you got distracted. That's why you, you got in such debt, because you got distracted. That's why you chose that person to fall in love with, because you were distracted. You had this thing in your head you thought you had to have, but now you see. And so guess what you should do? Realize God is waiting on you to deal with your distraction. He's waiting on you to say, okay, I see that's been in my way. My pride, my anger. You're distracted because you're mad. They offended you. So you're mad. Forever. And God is saying, okay, how long are you going to be mad? I'm trying to prosper you. I'm trying to bless you. How long are you going to run away to people that want to give you good advice? You're distracted. 
Oh, yeah. It'll stop you. You're trying to date that person. You don't need to date. Distracted. Holding on to stuff you need to let go of. Distracted. Stand on your feet. It's time to go. God, we have been distracted. The death, the loss of a loved one. We're distracted. Consumed by it. Can't get over it. They did me wrong. (laughs) You're so busy thinking about that, you're distracted and can't build a future. Let it go. Get on with your life. Shoulda, woulda, couldas. Distraction. That's all that is. You shoulda, woulda, coulda. Well, why don't you do it now? How about letting that go and do it now? Every time I think about what I should have done, the Holy Spirit said, well, you you so smart, do it now. You know so much now. You said, if I had known then what I know now, well, you know it now, why aren't you doing it? Shoulda, woulda, coulda doesn't change anything. One foot in front of the other does. Father, we lift our hands. We leave this place with faith and confidence, trusting you today with our lives, believing that that our lives in your hand is safe. Is safe. Bless us, guide us, anoint us. Help us to be honest about our distraction. Jesus' name. give you one of mine real quick. I'm going to hang up. I'm really going to get out of here. I'm working on a sermon on anger for next month. And um, the series next month, when I talk about anger, I went and did a little question survey. I said to people, I, and I said, do I get, how do I act when I get angry? I started doing this little survey. And one of the people who knows me really well said, you don't get angry a lot. You've never been angry at me, but you've been irritated. I thought that was so powerful. But you've never been like real angry with me. And the Holy Spirit said to me, I mean, it came to me just so clearly as they said that. Be careful about having a spirit of irritation about everything. It's a distraction to your family and to your peace. Carry this edge about you. Always irritated. It's not like you want it to be. When they talk to you, they got to be on the eggshell. I talked to my wife about that today. We'll work on that. Because I do want things right. You know what I'm saying? I'm like that. I'll be honest. I'm like that. I want it right. You got to see me. The dishes got to be out of the sink. Okay, I got an issue. I'm working on it. But what I have to be careful about is that I don't allow my irritation to become a family distraction. So that somehow the house feels tense because it ain't perfect. Did you hear what I just said? So go to work tomorrow and scare everybody. Be nice. 
Father, we leave with faith, trusting you today. Laying our irritation, our anger before you, realizing that that can be a distraction in the family peace. The family can never get beyond where they are. The communication can never be better if there's a spirit of irritation. So I speak to that. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Rick, I've heard you today. I'm clear. And what you said spoke to me about my, my life. But if you're here and you know that maybe for you the thing you need prayer for is to walk with God. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want, I, want to, I want to leave this place knowing that I'm walking with God. I feel like I need, I need that prayer. Raise your hand. Anybody says, I need that. Anybody else? I see two. I see three. Anybody else? I see four. I see five. Anybody else? I see more. Thank you. At home, same thing. If you're watching today from home, I want you to hear me. If you're watching on demand, I want you to hear me. Right now, today, you can say, Father, I surrender my life to you. I trust you. I want you to come into my life in a real way. Father, let this be that transforming moment where their lives will never be the same. I pray that they would say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life today. I receive your forgiveness and your grace. May this be the beginning of a new life. And may I never be distracted again. When it comes to you, you'll be first. In Jesus' name. Can I get an amen?